0: Log Talk Radio I own it, I did it, not proud
1: Welcome to the bubble hour where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog called Unpickled where I share with you what five plus years of sobriety has been like from my very, very first day. And I um, am excited to be here And I'm not excited at the moment that our system is acting up And I haven't been able to get the guest on the phone And she is a really interesting lady So I'm quite excited to bring her on So we're going to dial her right now And see if we can get her on the line Fingers crossed Let's hope this works Here we go Hi,
2: Jean.
0: Hi,
1: Yvette. It's Jean. So we're live recording right now, and you sound nice and clear. How do I sound? Perfect. Oh, my God. What a difference. We did it. We did it. Yes, Jean. Good team. I just got five gray hairs trying to uh, make that happen, but we did it.
0: I love it. I love it.
1: So I'm going to just start out by reading a little bit about you and then I'm going to have okay. you tell us your story. It always Great. feels weird when someone else is talking about you while you're right there, but we'll just pretend that that this is all happening normally as it normally would on the show. So the episode okay. that we're about to hear reminds us that no one sets out to be an uh, addict or an alcoholic. But this is an incredible story of recovery. A vet spiral into bulimia, drug, and alcohol addiction began with a wish to lose 10 pounds. That's a common enough thing. We've all been there. But for a vet, this began a period in her life that would lead to eight stops in rehab, and even trying to get by living in her car and working as a dancer. Well, today she's a successful business owner, a trainer, a health coach, who lives to empower other women and enjoys a full and happy life as a mom and a wife. Yvette, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you, Jean. I'm
2: actually
0: actually a little overwhelmed. It's something to hear somebody just, like, cross your whole life like that. Wow. Wow. Yeah,
1: you... uh, did you realize you you are a hero and a miracle?
2: It's funny because as we're uh, taping this, I'm in my car, so I could have something. When you say you lived in your car, because I really did, and it's like now I'm I'm
0: doing a podcast in my car. It's a weird. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, I, I was that's... really trying
2: not to cry, Jean, because I was be strong Yvette but this is what happens even when I
1: raise my hands in meetings I I cry I always cry it's terrible (laughs) no no I you know I think it's wonderful because I think we need to I think we you know these stories are powerful and what you've been through is worth a few tears and I think you know when we're pretty empathetic people we also know that if we're hurting then there's If we've been through that, other people are going through it, too. And so I I suspect that your tears are not just for yourself, but, you know, for all the women that you've connected with and that, you know, are out there meeting this, too. Oh, God. Yes.
2: Because there are many women out there struggling to just get through the day minute by minute and thinking there's no possible way I can get out from under this but there really is and there is hope and your stories that i hear on your podcast really do give me so much hope
1: oh that's good I, me too i mean i i just feel privileged to um be a part of this and i wish i wish i could gather them all you know i just feel like the 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 stories we hear on the bubble hour are so powerful and i know they're just the tip of the iceberg i wish i could stop every person on the street and just say like sit with me for an hour and tell me your story But today is your day. Today is your day. And, um, and I, I'm looking forward to to hearing you share. And, um, if you, if you feel comfortable, do you feel ready for that? Is that? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right.
2: Well, I'll turn it over to you. Okay. Um, so I, I had everything written out what I was going to say and then I just asked my Hollow power this morning to give me the strength to just, you know, say it from my heart and, uh, so that's what I'm going to do. No notes, and just tell you my experience, strength, and hope, and hope that maybe this touch upon somebody who's got something similar going on in their life, and maybe can get out of that rabbit hole that I was in for so long. So my um, my journey started. Uh, you know, just to, just to preface it, I'm half black and Spanish, and so that was a a big thing for me. My father. Um, is a doctor, and we moved around a lot. And so I grew up in, I was born in Canada, we lived in Spain, but coming from Europe to live in this country at seventh grade, to me, that was probably the life-changing event of my life. I was called Spick, I was called Oreo, I didn't know where I belonged in the world. Um, I came from a culture of where I went to you know, eating lunch at 3 p.m. and going to school to at till six at night and wearing a uniform every day with my little white collar bumblebee at the side, my gray plaid skirt. To coming here in the 80s where it was Jordache jeans and girls were wearing, wearing makeup and oh my god, I was really like culture shocked. I cried every day. I said, can we please go back to Spain?" I I really really felt like I never belonged. I never belonged. I came here and I thought, I'm just always the outcast. No one picked me for gym class. You know, it was just, it was really a horrible existence. And my mom was a professor at Rutgers. My father's a doctor. And so I was pretty much a latchkey kid, come home off the bus and, you know, be by myself with this new country and no friends. And let me tell you, Oreos. (laughs) It all started with Oreos. So um, so one day we, I was sitting at dinner and my dad said to me, boy, like because of the culture shock and food, the food in America is so different than in Europe, I started to gain weight. And my dad said, what's this? And he pinched the side of my waist. And my parents are very perfectionist. And, you know, I, I always wanted to make them proud. And I was like, oh, I said, don't worry, daddy. I am going to get skinny and I'm going to be the skinniest girl you ever saw. And that, that moment, I'll never forget it in my kitchen, was the beginning of the rabbit hole for me. So it started with me wanting to lose 10 pounds. And it's funny how God puts people in your life that, because when I lost that 10 pounds, God placed all these people in my life, all the beautiful people, all the cheerleaders. And then I was, I became popular just from the way my body changed. I started wearing makeup. I got Jordache jeans and I'm still the same person, but now I'm accepted. So Mm -hmm. for me, my whole life was about trying to be accepted. I just wanted, I wanted to be that blonde cheerleader with big boobs, a little waist and a Gucci bag. And I was not, I was tall. I was dark. I was everything but the American girl But, you know, I tried my hardest to be that, you know, hair extensions, tanning, always the eyelashes, always trying to be like the other girls. So I lost some weight, and that became my downfall. I was with a group of girls that were um, into losing weight. I'll never forget it. My best friend and I were at the mall. And we were both on diets, and she, we went to GNC to get these diet pills. And she was like, i got to go to the bathroom. I'm, I'm going to throw my spaghetti up. And I'm like, how are you going to do that? And she showed me. She put her fingers down her throat. I was like, oh, man, that is a score. You get to eat spaghetti and not gain weight. And that was the day I said. That, that day changed my life because now I learned the secret of how to stay thin and eat. And I would just be once in a while. But before you know it, now I'm cooking large amounts of food, and I'm binging and purging eight to ten times a day, exercising five to six miles a day, and that was my prison in the shackles of food. So I later went to college. My parents moved to Switzerland. Um, just to give you an idea, of, I, I was felt very... Always like I never belonged. My parents never even went to see this college. I went to UMass. My parents went to Switzerland and I just drove there by myself. My parents left me in this country. I had nowhere to go for Thanksgiving, nowhere to go for Christmas. I mean, I could go to Switzerland, but so that's that's how I was. I was always trying to be with men, to have a place to stay, like a boyfriend's, and drinking, really. I was introduced to drinking in college, and it was like, wow, I got freedom from food for that little period of time. You know, I would I would throw up, and it, like, this is what would happen, Jean. I would say I would go to school. I would get home. I would eat, eat, eat. And then I would throw up and then I would go out at night like this brand new person with a flat stomach, my hair, my makeup. And it was really, that was the course of my life for about 12 years where I was one person during the day, like sweats, glasses, hair up, and throwing up all day. And then at night, makeup, alcohol, drinking, and boys. And that's the story of my life. Um, I was able to graduate college but I did go to several rehabs for anorexia and bulimia through those years I probably went to three rehabs and during the years that I was in rehab they would try to address alcohol but I was like well there's no possible way I'm never not going to drink that is just like who does that nobody does that I just need to not throw up anymore so my life continued. I graduated college. I worked as a salesperson. I was very successful in sales and advertising sales, and I won trips to Hawaii. I won trips to all over the place. But with that sales came drinking, and entertaining clients, and my drinking, like, took off big time. Um, I was fired from that big job, that big sales position I had. And this, um, for any of you ladies out there where you go, like, where was the fork in the road? Boy, for me, that fork in the road was um, I was at the gym one day. Because during this time, I was always involved in fitness, teaching fitness classes in college. I had this appearance. I had to keep up. So it was all about keeping up with the Joneses. I had to be the fittest, I had to be the biggest party girl, and I had to be the most successful salesperson. And I would had no matter how I had to get there, I would get there. If it was throwing up and working out all day to be skinny, then that was it. To be gregarious, loud, and funny, it was the drinking, and I had to keep up those addictions to keep up that image. Um, but so after I got fired from the yellow pages, I uh, was at the gym and this guy says to me, you should become a shot girl at a go-go bar. And it was like some light bulb went off on my head. Like that is the best idea I ever heard. So <laughs> I walked into a go-go bar, like in a blue Navy blue suit with little like pumps with a little heel. Like I had no idea what I was walking into, into a go-go bar and I was like, wow, the girls are wearing bikini on stage. And, you know, like the guy took me in the office and he says, you're a cute girl. You know, you're going to make a lot of money as a shot girl here. You're hired. So lo and behold, I quickly went from shot girl to dancer. And I was introduced to my first line of cocaine. And from the very first line of cocaine, I said, I need to marry a drug dealer. Like this has to be in my life every single day. That one line of cocaine, even talking about it, it's like, Ugh, oh, you put that with alcohol and it just like you never get drunk and stupid. You're always happy. And that was the biggest part of my addiction for probably six years. I was um, drinking and drugging every day as soon as I did my first line of coke, because now I could drink all the time without getting drunk. I was like, this, is, this there's nothing better. So now just working as a dancer, looking for a job, which, quote, unquote, like looking for a job never happened because now I was making six dollars $700 cash every day, every night. But what happened was I was living this beautiful life as a dancer. I had my own apartment, beautiful car, you know, sunroof, everything. And all those beautiful things started to go away very quick. I started to even work daytime. Like daytime in the go-go bar is like the – The the lowest of the low of the men that you can imagine, like no teeth, you know, drinking all day in the go go bar. But that's what I had become. I had to surround myself with those people because I had to start drinking and drugging at noon. Like I couldn't wait till six o'clock at night for night shift. So it was the very beginning of the decline. I left work one day, my car was repossessed. Like, what happened to my beautiful car? Gone. Um, So I started to lose things really quickly. And, uh, I asked, you know, I asked my father for help. I went to several rehabs. I, you know, I said, I just need to stop drugging and not drinking and, you know, trying to, trying to mix up everything, everything I could to like, you know, still continue to drink. Cause that was my love. I just need to stop doing drugs. If I stop drugging, I'll be okay. Never worked. Um, so fast forward after my drinking years, I said, okay, I can't, I'm going to die. I, I literally one day did so much cocaine. I was at a bar and I drank and my heart was fluttering. And I said, oh my God, I did too, too much. I think this is what it feels like to overdose. Like I actually was scared. And I, I told my dad, I I need, I need to go to rehab. My dad said, I'm done. He's been like eight rehab. He's done with rehab. He says, you, you, you got to get out of this house. At this point in my life, Gene." I had called my mom from a rehab. My mom told the operator that she didn't have a child, that her child was dead. Uh, Mm -hmm. My father had kicked me out. You know, no place to go. Nobody, I had lost all my friends. Um, And at the end, my father had said, I will sign for an apartment for you, but I'm done. After this, you're going to get, you get the deposit and you get an apartment. So I had an apartment. Um, and I got a job back in advertising, but I still had my dance bags Jean, because I said, you know, just in case, I need a couple, you know, dollars. Oh, I just never got rid of the suitcase full of all the outfits. But I was working, and I was selling advertising. And this is where my story really changed. You don't know what um, you, your higher power will put in your life. So I'm going to sell advertising in this rinky-dink newspaper, and I walk into a bagel store, of course. My M.O. also was stealing. I was a big time into stealing my fake eyelashes, food, alcohol, because it all kind of went together for me. So I walked into this bagel store, and I stole a muffin. I stuck it in my purse that I didn't even have money to eat. And I said, can I speak to the owner? I'm here for advertising. So long story short, that man that was the owner of that business said, would you go out to dinner for me? And I was like, sure, I'll go out to dinner with him. He was not anything that I was impressed with, but I figured he owns a store. Maybe, you know, he, I can get him into the Google Bar as my customer because this guy's like, this guy's like <laughs> stupid. You know, like this guy's, this guy on our first date sent me five dozen roses to the office. I was like, no one has ever done that. Long story short, we start drinking together and I tell him probably into two or three weeks of drinking, I said, Dave, I need to stop drinking 100%. This has to stop. Um, at this point, my, my, they took me in um, employee assistance program. They pulled me into the office. They said, Yvette, we think you have a problem with alcohol. You need to take a break, and, you know, you can't come back to work here. So I told my husband, and he's like, then you need to go to outpatient. I told my, my friend Dave, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to go to outpatient. You know, my newspaper's going to pay for it. That was the day that I went to outpatient rehab and I quit drinking. That man that was the bagel store after 90 days of sobriety and I was going to a recovery program, he asked me to marry him on a bagel. So I got my 90 day piece (laughs) and in a, in a, in a shellac bagel, it said, will you marry me? And I was like, what? Like you're going to take on me, me? Like, do you understand what this is all about? Like, throwing money down the toilet and drinking and drugging, and no one has ever loved me. And that he, he really saved my life, but he also, I also helped save his life because he had issues with alcohol. And we, now we've been married 15 years. We have a beautiful daughter together. We adopted a son two years ago. He doesn't drink. I don't drink. And this is, this is my story. He wow. saved my life. He really did
1: oh, Wow Well I have lots of Questions for you
0: um, Okay.
1: Because I think There's I think I can Suss out lots of Details in your story But I, well, a couple of things Come to mind um, First of all just as I am hearing your Story you know I'm a, I'm a mom and a Grandma and I just Want to hug the Little version of You I just cool. as you Talk about being a Young girl I just I just want to mother you. And, um, and I bet you're a great mom to your kids now knowing what a kid needs that and what happens when they don't get it. Right. I'm, I'm curious, what's your relationship like now with your parents? My parents live in Spain. And, uh, you know,
2: it's not it's toxic for me. I I hope this podcast is not something they listen to. But I love my parents. I, I always just try and say that they did the best with what they they had. You know, my mom didn't have a mom growing up. She died very young. But I, I honestly, Jean, I never felt loved. I never felt loved. I always felt abandoned. Even now, like they're in Spain, like they never get to see their grandkids. It's like, wow, I just see my friends, all their grandparents taking care of their kids and doing outings. And,
1: you know, I just feel, I feel sad almost for my kids that they don't have that. But. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. It kind of leaves a hole in your heart. And have you found that I've really noticed that some of the relationships I've formed in sobriety and, and just some of the other relationships in my life is I start to realize like the wounds that some of those core relationships, you know, with their family of origins, like sometimes the things that they lack, like we learn to fill that with the other people that are brought into our life. And are you learning to do that now? I know you're not expecting me to ask you these questions, so I'm just throwing these at you, but yeah, no,
2: I absolutely have found that, um, you know, my support network is huge. It really is huge. Like I, you said it perfect that hole in my heart. I filled it with pancakes. This is going to be the name of my book booze, blow and pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it really was it was booze it was the blow and it was pancakes because that's I used to binge on pancakes Every that was my big binge food but mm-hmm. um I filled that hole like all the time like I never knew how to feel and even to this day it's really a struggle for me to um you know to ask for help but I do I reach out I reach out I have a really really tremendous network of women and um and if anyone is struggling out there it is definitely you cannot being an island is so comfortable, but if you want to change, you have to get uncomfortable, and you have to reach out for help. Like I, even when I struggle, I struggle with food, and I I reach out to people and say, you know, today's today I'm really struggling, I'm really wanting to binge, and I have to put it out there because usually if I and this is the thing is saying it before you do it, because I've I've done that. Like when I had a sponsor at AA for many many times, she'd be like, don't call me drunk. But, and I thought, like, what do you mean? Like, I'm your friend. I'm your buddy. Like, no, you call me before you drink. that's D- mm-hmm. not respectful, and you don't call me after. And that's I've, I've, I feel like I've learned how to live. And for okay. me, my, 12, my 12-step program is AA, but it can be anything for anybody. But for me, I had to learn how to live. When I stopped drinking, I was literally like an 8-year-old girl. Like, I really didn't even know how to get up, brush teeth, get in your car, go to work, come back, work out, be silent, and sleep. Like, those basic things, I didn't know how to do.
1: You had to, like, go back and and raise yourself, you know? It's like when when you came here, the pause button kind of got hit on your development, and you had to go back and relearn all that. You know what else I hear is the, like... You know, when you talk about the first time you did cocaine and just like you you kind of like lit up like, oh, oh, this is the answer.
0: Like, oh, this is
1: going to work. And I know yes. I really felt like that with alcohol, like, okay, this is how I do it all. You know, this is this is what works oh. for me. And and the, I, I had some eating disorders, too, as a young woman. And I remember the first time that I binged and purged and I was like, okay, yeah this is the answer so (laughs) I gotta say like all of those things like they feel like they work and they work for a really short amount of time and then they just go sideways so fast but that same kind of like you know that ping I had that ping except for real the first time I talked to another person who was sober that like it was like I lit up in a way that, like, okay, this is the real deal. This is what I'm really looking for, you know? And mm. it's that same kind of, like, yes, this is it. Like, that, I don't know, that satisfaction that we crave. Did you find that just in in talking to other people and in meeting people that are sober,
0: that it oh, it just touches that part of your heart? It yeah.
2: really does. I feel like it's the same thing, like, I used to say, Jean, like every job I had, why do I always find the partiers? Why do the party people come to me? Like, this is the energy I'm giving out. But now that I'm sober, it's like everybody that comes in my life is sober. It's like, that's the energy I'm giving out. Like, if you want to go out and drink, I don't. I want to go to Barnes and Noble's and get a coffee. And that's my, that's, that's where I want to go. But now God is putting these people in my life. And it's, I, it feels just so great because even to this day, I, I don't go to weddings. Like people think I live a very, um, I, I do. I live a very safe life. It's safe because where do you go? You go to parties, you got drinking and you got food, two things I can't do. You know, one right. warrior sends me out to the <laughs> toilet and one drink sends me out to like calling Blinky on the corner. I can't do either. <laughs> so I say, let me keep a very safe life. and And, and my life is 24 hours at a time. And it's, Getting up in the morning, I listen to a podcast every morning, whether it's School of Greatness, Jack Canfield, Anthony Robbins, something motivational, TED Talk. I get my mind right. I do the things that are structured in a routine because now it's almost like I've become OCD on the opposite because for so long my life was ah, crazy, pay bills, live life on the edge. You know, there was no rhyme or reason to, no structure that now I'm almost super structured that if anything goes, like it has to stay in my box because I'm very afraid of how I used to be, you
1: Mm -hmm. know, you don't want to go back there. Oh, Um, I do not. Let's talk about shame. Do you, did you experience shame along the way or have you sort of addressed that or does that fit into your story at all?
2: Oh God! so much shame, so much shame, so much shame god it I think that i have I have so much shame of throwing up I feel like anorexia is a is a drug it's you know it's looked in as like wow, you have so much willpower, but throwing up is just so gross, and I have a lot of shame of that. I have a lot of shame of throwing so much money away on food and alcohol and drugs. My drug habit was. 800 a week, easy alcohol, easy 500 a week. I have so much shame. Like I could, if I had all that money saved up, like where would I, where would I be today? But I, I don't think like that, but I do have so much shame that, you know, I, I put myself in positions, Jean, that I never thought I picked up hitchhikers. I was in motel rooms with guys with guns and kilos of Coke, you know, I put myself in positions where, you know, Wow. They, like, a you know, like I'm watching casino. Really? This is my life. This, these people with guns and blocks <laughs> and like really in a hotel room. Cause you picked this guy as a hitchhiker going to the go-go bar who lives that recklessly.
1: That's so shameful because I honestly just to wanted to die. Did Pardon? You? So you you wanted to die? So you just sort of took risks oh, that you wouldn't normally yes, do. Yes,
2: that is exactly yeah. right. I feel like like almost that time that I took too much Coke, like, if it's the end, it's the end. Like, I always said, I this is so weird you just mention that, because I always said I'm never going to live past 30, so I'm going to live it hard as I can. I never mm-hmm. thought I would live past 30, ever. Lived recklessly, because I figured the day it hits, this is the day it hits. But there was no limits to anything. The bar closes at four, there's a party after that you know there's a there's a hitchhiker to be picked up there's a hotel room that's open you know i I did so I did so many crazy things I stole i cheated i lied I cheated on boyfriend after boyfriend to get to drugs to get to more money. It was just all
1: a big lie, a big lie my life and <laughs> What do you think you were trying to satiate satiate with all of that? What were you trying to satisfy in your heart? I
2: don't know. I do want to tell you, though, that, you know, one of the things that happened to me in college was I was raped. And I think that, like, the go-go dancing was like a big F you to men. like, Like, I got the power now. Right. And yeah. I got the power I'm going to get you back Like, and I think that when that happened to me I was in a fraternity and I, I yelled for help and no one came to help
0: me you
2: know oh. no one
0: came to help me oh, so it was so like blurry. my parents leaving me and these people that knew me in a fraternity no one came to help me so I said I, I, I don't know did you Did that start to
1: make you buy into the idea that you didn't deserve help or you weren't worthy of it, or was there a part of you absolutely. that kept fighting because you knew it? You felt that
2: absolutely I thought that was never worthy, even with my even with my husband on our first date,
1: I was trying to get out of it
2: and go back to this mafia guy that I was dating like I gotta get out of here i' like I'm telling my my you know husband now like Dave, I gotta go to the the, the um airport to pick up my brother. Meanwhile, I want to go meet Angelo, the drug dealer. Because you know, what am I doing with Dave? This is a nice Irish Catholic boy, and I just I need somebody who's going to beat me up. And you know, Dave's not Dave's too nice. Dave's too nice. When he came to my where's your uh, where's your furniture? I'm like, oh, it's getting delivered. <laughs> no furniture, you know. <laughs> and he, he like bought me furniture, He bought me air conditioner. I was, I, was, I really just didn't know what to do with that. He would I, one day he came home like we were living in my apartment at this time at my dad had subletted for me and he came home and I had chocolate all over my face I was eating cake mix you know I was just eating throwing like throwing up in the middle of a binge he opened the door and I was like oh god like busted this is really what I am do you see this like chocolate on my face you know bottles in the trash can this is this is this is this is what you're signing up for and he was just cleaning me up and it's like you need to get help like you can't live like this you're going to die
1: so it sounds to me like he saw you he saw your worth he saw you in a way that that no one else had and no one helped you see helped you see the you that was in there too i mean you said he saved you but but we know that can't happen we know that only we can save ourselves so maybe he held up a mirror and showed you what he saw. And that's what you needed to, to save yourself.
2: What did he see?
0: He saw a drug addict,
2: bulimic alcoholic, you know, I, that's why I was like, why, why does he love me? But you know, Jean, he believed in me
0: and yeah. all you need is
2: one, one person, one yeah. person. Like you can go to an AA meeting, find a little old lady and she believes in you and your life can turn around. Like Dave believed in me. No one, I didn't believe in myself. No one believed in me. My parents didn't. Nobody did. But Dave was like, no. And the, you, you had asked, I, I don't know, one of the questions was, um, oh, how many years of sobriety altogether? So I had 12. I would have had 15 years. And now I had, so I was pregnant, right? I had three years of sobriety. I was going to meetings. I had three years. Like, that's a long time. And I was seven months pregnant, and I went to a graduation party. And this is why I live in a bubble, like the bubble hour, because I saw Zinfandel and Kool-Aid, and out of nowhere, I said, no one's going to know. And Mm -hmm. I started drinking like I never stopped. And I'm seven months pregnant, Jean. Like, wow, who does that? You have three years sober, and you're seven months pregnant. And I was drinking. I was getting a Zinfandel in the bathroom and putting it in the red cups. And like, like time had not changed anything. And I said, if that is cunning, baffling, and powerful, that that little, like that, just that moment, I'd never planned it. Right. It's impulse. Yeah. And I said, if I could drink, you really can't let your guard down. You cannot. It's right. that's yeah. insane. Seven months pregnant, and you never drank in three years, and you drink. And I drank recklessly that night, and I had to tell my husband the next day. And like, wow, that's why I do not go to weddings. I don't go to bars. I don't go to picnics where there's alcohol. Alcohol does not come in my house. People don't drink it around me because I know that is so crazy. That's how, that's how crazy alcohol is. Mhm,
0: mhm.
1: It's a strong. It's a it's a strong connection. You know that it doesn't it doesn't just go away. You know it just but once the, once the switch is flipped once the brain change happens um it it really it's it's shocking to hear how it can yeah. take us back there so tell me Yvette, what what does what are the essential elements for recovery in your life i mean you you're fiercely protective of your recovery not just for yourself but for your family but but tell me how you do it what what does a typical day in your life look like
2: uh, a typical day. So I um, I get up. I get up before anybody gets up, usually around four o'clock in the morning. But we also have a bagel business. So my husband's up at 3.30. He's out of the house. So it's just me by myself. My kids are sleeping. I eat my breakfast and I listen to some kind of inspirational podcast or YouTube or read. Um, then I work out and then I Take my kids to school or whatever, and then I go to my business where i 'm a personal trainer. I have a personal training studio just for women. I really have found God has put me exactly where I need to be because one of my addictions was also men, you know like I, I explained to you about the the rape and the go go so I, I created my like you said, my sobriety is very safe. I work with women i can 't get distracted. I try and help women because I, most of the women that come to me are not going to ever walk into a bulge gym. They're not going to walk into a gym and feel intimidated. They, they don't feel valuable to go into the weight room and lift weights. They, they would feel less than. So I, I want to help women power and find their say, and this is my bench, and these are my dumbbells, and I'm strong, and I can do this. So I created that, and I go to the gym. Um, I train women, and then after that, I pick up my kids from school. I, I prep my meal plans for the week. I do all my vegetables. I cook, and then I spend some time with my kids, and then I go to bed by 830, and it's pretty much like that every day structured. Mm-hmm. I go to Come AA in. meetings Come twice a week, too. I don't know if I can say that. I don't know if that's okay, but
1: I do have a sponsor, and I do go to AA meetings. And do you do you see your work as service? I know service is an important part of a twelve step program. Your work is service and do you do other service for you're doing service right now, by the way, by sharing your story, so thank oh, you for that. And and you've reached you. out with your story and I thank you for that. And um and that, what are some other ways that you stay connected with people in recovery? Do you go for coffee with you know, people from your yep. meetings or how do you work right. into your work? I life?
2: have a I have a lot of women from the meetings that are actually in in my business that train with me. So we do a lot of, you know, talking there. Um, When I go to meetings, I meet up usually with a friend that's in recovery. Most of the women that are in recovery that I'm very close with, we also have that fitness connection. Um, Mm -hmm. But I have like four or five women in recovery that I'm very tight with. And then I have four or five women that work for me that are like my family as well. So for me, I have a really, I know one of the questions you would ask me is is my support network. My support network is huge. And I always try and give back, you know. I always, like, I have a scholarship fund for women um, who can't afford personal training. And I give them personal training for free. Um, Women helping women. I try and, you know when they get out of prison they need some kind of interviewing skills or you know how do they meditate or yoga i try and give as much as i can um and i i know that the people that are in my life that are asking for help it always comes out that there's an addiction to xanax uh you know it's it's funny that, that god puts these people in my life because i'm like wow, you smell like alcohol. Were you drinking last night? And then the more I'm working with them, they're like, I don't know if I have a drinking problem. How did you find out you were ever an alcoholic? It's so funny. And then, you know, well, just try to not drink for 90 days. And, you know, that might answer your question. And, you know, just what somebody else did for me, I try to do for them. And wow. God keeps putting these people in my life. And it's I have probably converted four or five clients that are now actively in AA
1: and are sober
2: just from personal training. Yeah. And they never even came to me
1: for that, you know? <laughs> well, you know, there's, a, Anne Lamont has this great expression about, you know, the lighthouse doesn't go running around looking for ships. The lighthouse just stands still and shines a light. And, and, um, I feel like that's all we need to do is just, you know, be who we yes. are and, and let our light shine. And it's amazing who, I don't know, who it crosses, you know, who that brings into our lives. And I, I really think that, Whatever a person believes about faith and, and um, whatever, whether they pray or not, I think just to offer your life up in service and say, okay, use me. Bring opportunities my way. I'm open to it. I will, you know, I will say yes to as many things as I can. And as soon as you adopt that mindset, it's amazing to me what comes along. I mean, it just, it's it's mind boggling. And I've, I've got to do some really cool things and be part of, you know, seeing some big life changes happen for people too. And I really don't feel like that's me doing it. I just kind of feel like I sort of said, okay, you know, put me in the right place at the right time so someone else can use my story to help them, you know? And and I hear you, that's what you're doing too. And that's, I really think that's that's how we change lives. It's really cool.
0: And I got the Absolutely. other side of it is that
1: if we feel like it's our job to change lives or it's like our accomplishment. Then um, that's that's a different mindset, and it that's not a healthy one because no. we take away that gift of letting people do it for themselves. And also, um, we I learned this the hard way. If I take credit for other people's success, if I say like you know I changed their life, then I know that I also feel the pain of people who struggle and who I'm trying to help right. and who keep going back and who can't get it. And it was a really right. hard lesson for me to just let them own it and just keep shining my light and let them have their journey, but just to be, you know, part of the landscape along the way. And
2: Absolutely.
1: But the world, is I feel full, that,
2: you know, uh, I, I go feel ahead. that also, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I always hear in Tony Robbins, or one of the, you know, you you are who you surround yourself with. Like you, you're really, um, I think it's like this. It's like the five people that are closest to you. You are like a a, a mixture of those five people. That's who you are. And I have to mm-hmm. say, like the person that I am today is a mixture of the, those five closest people in my life. Because you yeah. know, when you get down that rabbit hole of like you know she said this and I'm not you know she didn't like my picture on Facebook I'm not gonna like hers whatever you know that crazy that we get I always yeah. reminded my husband my husband like every day 3 a.m in the morning he he prays on his knees every day like he's a man of such good heart like such good heart give the shirt on his back for anyone he always by his example I always you know I grasp that I grasp that and he always shows me to be a woman of integrity. And um, even when I want to take things back, you get money, you get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Boy, you know, you need to have those people to remind you, you know, where you came from. Because it, mm-hmm. it can switch on you real quick.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we can sit mm-hmm. back in our old ways. Let's talk about your husband for a minute. Do you still have that bagel, the engagement bagel?
2: I don't, I don't have that bagel. I really shouldn't have <laughs> that baby. But, oh my God. He he is something. I don't even know. I don't know how God puts this guy in my life. It, it's just, you know, just this is just so wild. It's so
1: wild.
0: You're so raising wild a daughter. I stole a, I stole a muffin
2: from his store. <laughs> did you make amends?
0: Yeah,
2: I, I did. I
0: said, dude,
2: I can't believe I stole from our own store. Like, there's probably a lot of people doing that. You should put a camera. <laughs> oh,
0: God.
1: Or, a, or a, if you're hungry, please take a muffin basket.
2: Yes. Um, but, you know, my husband, the one thing that I have to say, my husband's a little older than I am, and um, this is one thing. My parents told me when I was young, we found you underneath a bridge. Like, this is messed up, right? Like, okay, I'm I'm messed up as it is, but this was one of the things in my earliest childhood memories I can remember my parents telling me, I found you under a bridge. So my whole life I was like, I'm going to find a baby under a bridge and I'm going to give them a great life. And so that's where the adoption came in. Like I wanted to adopt since I was like nine years old. I always said I was going to adopt every boyfriend I had. Was like, you're nuts. Like You're going to have your own baby. I was like, no, I'll have my own baby, but I'm going to adopt. And my husband is in his fifties and he's like, we're done with this process. We've been trying to adopt for six years. So it was a month before he was, we were going to be really done. Like this was, we've been, you know, right through the coals for money, bank, you know, you know, agencies shutting down, taking our money, moms that changed their mind. It's, it's a really dirty business adoption. And it was like, I'm telling you, it was two weeks before he was done. I think he was going to be 53 years old. I'm too old for this. It's over again. And we got a call that both parents had signed off on the baby. It didn't fall through. And do you want to come to Texas to meet this little boy, Stephen, who's six weeks old? And my husband, who was like, I'm done with home study. I'm done with money. I'm done with advertising. I was like, Dave, we just got, and we went, we met our baby in an, in a, in a restaurant. Like the the foster parents were holding the baby. I said, and you know, my husband was like, she's so crazy. She's got this adoption thing in her head. And he was, he's right there. We signed for that baby. And it's the biggest (laughs) light of our life.
1: Oh, yeah. that's so lovely. And how old is your daughter? My daughter's 12 years old,
2: and um, she's really like, an, uh, she's so, she's so smart. She's so advanced. She gives me advice for everything. She, um, she's amazing. She's the connection I have with my daughter. Boy, oh, mm-hmm. I really wish I had that growing up.
1: You know, I, yeah. I, I I really kind of realized a few weeks ago, just as my parents were moving and I was packing up my mom's clothes. And I really realized that in a lot of ways, I, maybe we all do this. I became the woman I wished I had as a mom and I have a good mom. I have a, I have a nice mom. She, they were, they, they, they weren't awful at all, but of course we're also critical of our moms to begin with. And, and I really, it, it really made me realize that when I became a mom, I, You know, I certainly had my own faults, but I really tried to to fill all the gaps that I knew existed in my life growing up. How do you Mm. see that with your daughter and you?
2: Absolutely. I, I, you know, I want my daughter just like my dad used to say, what are you going to do? Jumping jacks when you get older, you know, and and to me, it was like, that's what I loved. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. But my, my <laughs> husband said, you want to do jumping jacks? Let's go. We're going to build a gym. You're going to do jumping jacks. And you're good at it. And, and you know, like, that's, the men- like, I give my daughter whatever you believe in. You want to surf? She's really into guitar and surfing. And, like, I believe in you. If you want to open up, she was talking today about doing surf camps for girls. Like, so girls don't have to feel intimidated. And I was like, Mary Rose, that is a business right there, what you're talking about. Like, there's a need for that. If you're saying that and you believe that. There's a need for that. Like you could change girls' lives by giving them confidence. And she's like, yeah, you know, I think that's what – I wish I had that. You know, like growing up, I wish my parents believed any crazy idea that I had would be okay. But they were going to be a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer, you know. (laughs) Uh, But I think that my daughter, like me and my husband, are very – like give them whatever they want to do, you know. We believe in you and I – I want my, I wish, I wish my parents believed it, you know, I wish my parents came to see me cheerlead once or it wasn't important, you know, and I want to. I'm there for my daughter,
1: whatever, whatever she's doing, I'm there watching, listening, no matter what. So let's talk for a minute to anyone who's listening, who's really struggling and feels like they can't do it. Um, What do you say to them? Just reach
2: out to one person, reach out to one person and, if you reach out and ask for help, you will get the help. Like you got secrets, keep you sick. I had so many secrets for so long. I had to come clean. Like when you get, when you come clean, even if you don't get clean and you stumble, I went to eight rehabs. I tried to get sober thousands of times, but to just come clean and say, I really need help. And this is my life. I can't go on. Like you can, there's an 800 number. There's a confidant. There's, there's meetings. There's, there's so many places, but just to have that, to, to be humbled and to have that one vulnerable moment and ask for help can save your life. Amen. You know, and get the weight off your shoulders, get that monkey off your back. Yeah. There is no shame, right?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: We don't have to do it alone. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank
0: Definitely God. not.
1: All right. Well, we are just about out of time. Is there anything else you would like to say before we close up the show?
2: Any final thoughts? I just want to thank you for the opportunity. I hope this has touched somebody in some way. I hope that um, my strength, you know, it's one day at a time for me, and I hope that my strength has touched somebody to say, you know what, maybe I can do this too. That's all my hope. and I do have several contact places, and if anybody wants to reach out to me personally and say, you know, do you know where I can go for help for this? You know, I can give you the resources I used. I would love to help anybody. My, my phone is open for anybody who needs help. An email, I'm just an okay. email or a phone call away.
1: So do you want if anyone writes, wants to write in and connect with you, do you want me to send it to me, and then I'll forward it on to you? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So listeners, yes. if you want to reach Yvette, email me at thebubblehour at gmail.com, and I will forward your messages on to Yvette, and um, you can connect with her that way. I want to thank you so much. You really opened your heart, and I know I know it wasn't easy to tell your story, and and but I'm really glad you did, and I feel energized and positive, and I feel like I can do anything today.
0: Oh, um, I'm to Jean, that awesome. made my day.
1: Oh, I'm so, glad. I'm so glad we got the phones to work out today. Would have been a tragedy yes. for, for yes. Um, the phone gremlin to have sidelined our show. But I'm, I'm really grateful you were here. Thank you for doing this, Yvette. Thank you, Jean. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the opportunity. Thanks so much. Okay, just stay on the line. I'm going to put you on hold while I close out the show, and then we can say goodbye after, Okay. 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 So I just want to thank everyone for listening. I want to quickly remind you that my email is the bubble hour at gmail.com and that, um, If you have feedback, um, if you want to share your own story, you can message me. And just remember that we're supported by the efforts of ShiningStrong.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and on the web at TheBubbleHour.com. My blog is Unpickled. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and I'm on the web at UnpickledBlog.com. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, please take good care
0: you're strong cause you keep it on it just stays and waits there to rob you of your pride turn the light on